2: I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere. And I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people make friends? I'm just trying to save you some money. My job not just to entertain but to educate and teach you, so call me at one 800 743 cnbc or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Gulp. That's the feeling that went through my gut today when I read a speech by Fed Governor and Vice Chair nominee Lael Brainerd, one of the most reliable doves on the Fed who's been transformed out of nowhere, not just into a hawk, but a velociraptor. Today, we felt her talons, Dow plunging 281 points, S&P plummeting 1.26%, NASDAQ notes 2.26%, and it was all on her. There was no other negative news about the markets, but there didn't need to be. Yes, she's that important. It was a dramatic departure from just yesterday when we felt the economy would accelerate and all was good. Suddenly, everything you liked has become painted, creating a dangerously bipolar situation where I can only recommend lithium and some CNBC investing club counseling as we put out multiple bulletins today about the need to be more conservative here because of this big change in facts. Now, normally, I'm not that attentive to statements from individual Federal Reserve members. Others are. I prefer to focus on the merch of individual companies. Actually, I hate trading off every comment from our central bankers. But when I hear certain words from key members like Brainerd, words that indicate she's pivoting hard to a view that's much more negative for the stock market, well, you know what you have to do? You have to pull in those horns. (laughs) See, Brainerd is widely considered the biggest protector of the working class on the Fed. She was Elizabeth Warren's pick to lead the Fed and got the nod for vice chair when President Biden decided to stick with Jay Powell. What matters here is that historically, Brainerd is a dove, which, of course, is good for the bulls. Because she wants to help the downtrodden, she's been a relentless advocate of pro-employment policies that also happen to be pro-inflation. That is, until today... Suddenly, she's got the most anti-inflationary position in the entire Fed. I said, so "We're going to go through some of these words, this verbiage, because it's that important." Listen to this: today, today's inflation is very high particularly for food and gasoline. All Americans are confronting higher prices, but the burden is particularly great for households with more limited resources, end quote. Now, previously, Brainerd was, she was adamant that inflation was transitory. We get over it. Oh, speech after speech after speech as we emerge from the pandemic. Transitory, transitory. Now, she says it's getting worse, not better. So, quote, getting inflation down is our most important task while sustaining recovery that includes everyone. This is vital to sustaining the purchasing power of American families, end quote. In other words, Fed has done its job well in terms of getting people's more jobs, but it's failed abysmally at keeping inflation in check, the other part of its dual mandate. Like Powell, Brainerd held out hopes that everything would calm down on its own, whether it be cars or homes or food, but nothing panned out on any front. Thanks to inflation, the real burdens on the poor have grown and grown. So now Brainerd seems well, to feel, I guess, some remorse that's turning her into an anti-inflation zealot? As she said in today's speech, quote, it is a paramount, that's a tough word, paramount importance to get inflation down. Accordingly, the committee will continue tightening monetary policy methodically through a series of rate increases and by starting to reduce the balance sheet at a rapid pace as soon as our May meeting. Emphasis on me. Brainerd has been the conscience of the committee, determined to raise inflation to help people who work for a living. And she's giving many a speech concerned about the pace of the recovery for America's considerable underclass. Ever since she became vice chair, that was her mantra. Not anymore. Now she says, quote, given that the recovery has been considerably stronger and faster than the previous cycle, I expect the balance sheet to shrink considerably more rapidly than in the previous recovery. End quote. In fact, she's not talking about tightening Quote, over and above, end quote, what's expected. All right, here's the coup de grace where those velociraptor talons come out. Quote, currently inflation is much too high and subject to upside risk. The committee is prepared to take strong action if indicators of inflation and inflation expectations indicate that such action is warranted, end quote. All right, now, if if, if I were to translate this into plain English, spoken by just you and me, well, here's what it would be it would be like, look out below. (laughs) The biggest backer of low interest rates now wants much higher rates and wants the Fed's bond holding trillions of dollars to be sold aggressively. The market can't handle that. That would give us instantly higher long-term interest rates. In other words, it's going to spike mortgage rates at the exact moment when it looks like consumers are, have already started pulling in their spending horns. Mortgage rates are about 5% right now. I bet that that price is going to look like a steal in a couple of months because of this. If you put Brainerd's comments together with what we recently heard from Gary Friedman, the CEO of RH for the former Restoration Harbor, you might want to think about trimming something from all of your holdings. And that's what we've been doing for my travel trust. I don't want to be two-faced. It's quite frustrating when you hear a good story and it goes down anyway. But that's what happens when you know the Federal Reserve is on a mission to chill the economy. Good stories go down. Yes, chill it, maybe freeze it. Why be so attentive to this one Fed official? Because I chose to ignore comments made by a person by the name of Esther George, another Fed head, in early October of 2018. That was a mistake. George's comments predicated Jay Powell's later statement that we needed lockstep hugs. Ultimately, we didn't get them. But for a few months, trillions of dollars were lost in the industrials and tech stocks. The month of October of 2018 was the worst, worst month in years and years and years. And it really fell on the semiconductors and it fell on tech in general. OK, this time is different. Brainerd's not a hog. She's a dove who's recognized we've got the kind of persistent inflation that's most damaging for regular people. She's right. Exactly the people she took this job to help, their wages aren't going up as fast as inflation. I will, won't allow myself to be oblivious to this wake-up call the second time. Again, as I told members of the investing club, I'm pulling in my horns and selling with alacrity. Listen, a year ago, Brainerd thought inflation was transitory and headed lower. Problem now is that we're beginning to see some real cracks in the economy. Mortgage applications going down and down and down, which could be deadly for the economy if this pace continues. Auto sales coming in much weaker than expected. Holy cow. Baltic freight rates, a great indicator of industrial demand, going down day after day. Meanwhile, there's a sense that European business is way off kilter, precisely when China seems to be undergoing something close to a national COVID lockdown because their government refuses to use our superior vaccines. Now, I want people to mind my words. This is not a sell-everything call. I've been through that. I've been through 40 years. I'm not saying that at all. In fact, the healthcare stocks and the oils are still very attractive here. I would put more money in them if they come down. Oil because of supply issues, drugs, because they're pretty much immune to the Fed-mandated recession. I'm simply saying that I'm getting more conservative. I don't like it when you have a market where on Monday, traders buy all the semis and dump the health And then on Tuesday, they buy all the health and dump the semis. That is a classic sign that no, no, no one knows what to do. It's the kind of thing that usually happens right before the same traders say, I give up. I'm going to sell everything. I don't want you to get caught in that maelstrom. Bottom line, if you own anything you don't like, this is good as damn time as I did sell it. We're up a lot. I think we were going to get good, good prices in retrospect. When the Fed's biggest dove turns into a bird of prey, you better take notice of it because she will take your head off. Austin in Kentucky. Austin. Thanks so much for uh, taking my call. Love the show. Oh, you're quite uh, my welcome. Question, my question is about progressive. Um, scientists uh, you know, expect due to climate change insurers to have a lot of losses due to disasters we did see that uh, large loss uh, back in 2021 um, with increasing costs for replacement I do see premiums going up so underwriting profits should be increasing third quarter with it off its 117 highs would this be a good time to buy to buy which one? progressive you know what yeah I mean, you you told us, but our, our viewers are so smart. Austin, you told the story exactly as it is. That's precisely why you have to do it. Remember, that they do own a lot of uh, treasuries, and that can hurt them. But, yes, rates are going through the moon. All right, now listen to me. If you own anything you don't like, you want to do some trimming, join the club. Okay, just listen to the club. we got a big call on Thursday. I'll tell you exactly how we're approaching it with real money, which is what you want to know. But let me tell you. It ain't foolishly. On Mad Money tonight, natural gas prices soared to again today. So, what stocks are the best way to play it? I'm gonna give you three that I have my eye on, and they will work in this environment. And then, speaking of working the environment, rents are skyrocketing across the country. I'm screening the apartment reads that might be worth watching in this environment. And Uber Freight has become king of the trucking industry and increasingly digital world. And I'm getting a read on the space with the head of the division, and some of the rates that are going down that are head to head spin. Stay with Kramer.
0: Constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com/slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com/slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com/slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
2: Natural gas prices soared again today, breaking through $6 here on production cutbacks and, yes, a chillier April. At the same time, European leaders floated the idea of cutting down on Russian energy imports after seeing the atrocities Putin's troops have committed in Ukraine. If Europe really does crack down on Russian energy, they're going to need to buy every drop of liquefied natural gas that we can export. Now, this has been a regular theme since Russia invaded Ukraine 40 days ago, and it's something we've been talking about for years, but it's really, really coming to a head now. After those horrifying photos of Bucha, which is the suburb of Kyiv, where the Russians were killing civilians, it looks to be left and right. It's so bad that President Biden called for Putin to be tried for war crimes. Definitely a step in the right direction. If you, could, if you thought the world could swiftly go back to normal, these latest developments have made it impossible. Russia will remain an international pariah as long as Putin's running the show. Previously, European governments were reluctant to give up on Russian energy sources because their economies are totally hostage to those pipelines. And nobody wants to cause electricity shortages for the voters. But after seeing these photos of Russian atrocities, it's become clear that doing business with Putin is basically bankrolling crimes against humanity. Now, we know our government is eager to help Europe pivot away from Russian natural gas, but it's going to take our companies to make up the difference. I've got three of them for you tonight. I know you've asked them for me. I've mentioned them periodically. I've never put them together in one space. Two are pure plays on liquefied natural gas exports, a little dicier. And then one is a more diversified story, really perfect for home gamers who are worried about volatility. First and foremost, there's Schneer Energy. Yes, the aptly tickered LNG. We've talked about this company for years. This is the one that pioneered the liquefied natural gas export business. Schneider was originally a traditional oil and gas exploration company. But 14 years ago, they, gave up, they set up this huge liquefied natural gas terminal in Louisiana. Natural gas is very tricky if you want to transport overseas. It's too bulky to move in its room temperature form, so you have to use cryogenic equipment to freeze it. Freeze it into a liquid that's much more compact. Now, originally, Chenier's LNG terminal was set up for natural gas imports because we were supposed to be running out of natural gas. But thanks to the shale boom, we got a domestic gas glut, So they converted it into an export terminal. Then in 2015, they built another LNG export terminal in Texas. Why haven't we been building these things all across America? Well, natural gas is very cheap in the U.S. when compared with Europe or Asia. So you'd think it'd be a no-brainer. But the problem is these export terminals are insanely expensive. They're gigantic. They take years to build. Sheer lost money every year from 2008 through 2015 as they set all of this up. The company's former CEO, Sharif Sugi, by the way, was just on our show, was the mastermind behind the whole thing. We, got, we just to, I don't want to brag too much, but we had a moment. The stock was eight and we were all blown away by it. We said this could be an unbelievable stock. Now, he ended up losing his job in late 2015, thanks to a push from an activist shareholder. Yes, Carl Icahn. And and that's why so few companies have gotten one in in the liquefied Natural Gas game. It's very tricky. Even if your business can hold on long enough to reach the promised land, the executives who decide to go this route might not be able to keep their jobs. In Shiner's case, they finally started exporting their first LNG cargoes two months after Suki got ousted, which we were very sad about. We wanted to go down there. But once their facilities began running, this company became a cash machine. Chenier's uh, revenues jumped from less than $300 million in 2015 to $1.3 billion in 2016, and then north of $5 billion in 2017. By 2018, it was a Fortune 500 company. While they took a hit from COVID, energy prices have co- now come back with a vengeance, which is how Chenier put up 70% revenue growth last year, with total revenue coming in at nearly $16 billion, as Sharif Suki said one day could happen. At the same time, their earnings have also grown rapidly. It's the safest pure play in the industry. At this point, Schneers really hit its stride, and they're still expanding their export facilities in Louisiana and Texas. It's the it's proof of concept that all of that liquefied natural gas investment really did pay off. Unfortunately, the stock's had a huge run. It's so up nearly 100% over the last 12 months. But even to this move, the stock is pretty cheap on an EBITDA basis. Why? Because the analysts expect Shiner's sales and earnings to peak this year. If you believe the LNG business can stay strong beyond 2022, then you've got my blessing to buy this one. But otherwise, it's possible the good news is already baked in and we are in, suddenly, a not-great stock market. Next up is, yes, to lure in. This is the other liquefied natural gas pure play. And guess who's been found there? Yes, Sharif Suki again, and that was after you got exiled from Chenier. Tellurian has basically the same story, except it got started a few years later. The company just commenced construction on its first LNG export facility in Louisiana, and Suki says they'll be shipping this stuff by 2026. Historically speaking, that's not a bad time frame at all, but it's still way off. Although, you know what? When you consider, Chenier stock has had a fabulous long-term run, right? Uh, so I don't blame anyone for wanting to speculate that Tellurian... We'll be the next year. After all, it's their whole plan, except for doing it in a better, more convenient, be, uh, natural gas pipe way. In other words, their raw cost could be much lower. But if it's really the next Chenier, then you have to expect the stock to trade like Chenier between 2012 and 2016. When they were building their first export terminal, back then, Chenier jumped from the high single digits in 2011 to above 80 a couple, a couple of times in 2014 and 2015. Then it came crashing down in the mid-20s and early 2016, just as exports were about to get rolling because the price of oil and gas had plummeted. In other words, Chenier was a wild roller coaster ride. And I expect the same thing from Tellurian. That's why you have to be very careful with this one. There's absolutely no need to buy it immediately, as it won't start paying off until 2026. That means you've got years to accumulate a position into weakness. Given that the stock has basically doubled since the end of last year, I think you can afford to be patient here. Just wait for a better entry point. Remember, we spoke with them last week, and then an analyst recommended from Credit Suisse, that it really the next day. And I've got to tell you, I think the stock is a little too inflated. But when you look longer term, Sharif's track record is incredible. Finally, I want to highlight a company that we don't talk enough about. It's not a pure play, but does have a nice LNG export business and a safe one. I'm talking about Sempra Energy, a San Diego-based utility that provides electricity and natural gas to 39 million customers in Texas and California. More importantly, for our purposes, they've got a natural gas infrastructure business that owns a network of pipelines across the United States and Mexico. That includes liquefied natural gas infrastructure. I could go on and on about Semper's management, have built up a tremendous collection of assets here, including some clean energy and carbon sequestration technologies. But tonight we're talking liquefied natural gas. In this business, Semper's got a controlling interest in a liquefaction facility in Southwest Louisiana that came online in 2019 and has since expanded. Very lucrative. They've also got an LNG import terminal in Baja. California, that they've turned into a two way facility that can handle exports too. And they're looking for new opportunities to set up more LNG terminals. Thanks to all this liquefied natural gas exposure, SEMPRA stock has surged from 134 before Russia invaded Ukraine to 165 today. But even here, the stock sells for less than 20 times earnings, and it's got a 2.8% yield to boot. I like it long term as it's the single best growth utility around with a terrific liquefied natural gas kicker and great management led by CEO Jeff Martin. The bottom line, if you're looking for ways to play Europe's demand for liquefied natural gas, and I know many of you are, I like separate energy uh, the best, even though that's not necessarily going to go to Europe, and it's not a pure play, because the remaining utility business is nice and consistent. But in this market where the Fed may mandate a recession, I can think of a lot worse places to be. Stick with Kramer.
3: Coming up, which of these stocks can put a dent in your rent? Trust in Kramer to find the real estate plays that work for you. Next.
4: We
2: spend a ton of time talking about rampant inflation at the supermarket, the gas station, the car dealership, especially today. But right now, the hardest-hitting price increases are happening at home. I'm talking about the skyrocketing cost of rent, especially for those who live in apartments. If you don't own your own house, this is your number one expense, probably by far. And as anyone who signed a new lease lately knows, it's just eating people alive all across this country. Last week, I told you that housing prices are probably headed lower in the not-too-distant future, perhaps much lower, as I said at the top, at least for single-family homes. And, geez, these mortgage applications, they keep going lower and lower. Between rising mortgage rates, sticker shock, and more inventory coming online, I expect the housing market to take a real hit by the end of the summer, the latest. But the red-hot rental market feels more durable to me. While buying a home is a choice, if you can't afford it, then renting a place is a necessity. When a landlord raises your rent, all you can do is suck it up or move somewhere else that will also be more expensive than it was a year ago. We're seeing this dynamic everywhere. According to data from Zumper, that's a rental listing site, median national rents for one and two bedroom apartments have been up double digits year over year since last September. The rent for one bedroom has been growing at a 12 percent clip year over year for a two bedroom it's a 14 percent clip. That's a huge increase. And I don't see any signs that the landlords will show you any mercy anytime soon. With mortgage rates soaring, you may be trapped in that apartment. And remember, we're only talking about the median apartment. Some regions are much, much worse. Many of the cities that were hit hardest during the pandemic in terms of occupancy are now coming back with a vengeance. In Miami, the rent for one or two bedroom apartment is now up nearly 40 percent. That's the most extreme. But we're seeing 20 or 30 percent rent increases in Tampa, Florida, Knoxville, Tennessee, Austin, Texas, Tulsa, Oklahoma, New York City, Orlando, Seattle. Unless you own your own home, these rent hikes can devour your bank account. But maybe there's a silver lining here. Since higher rents are only good news for landlords, why not just buy a landlord or at least a piece of a publicly traded landlord? Don't just be a renter. Be a rentier via one of the Apartment Real Estate Investment Trusts, or REITs. So which is the best? Now, this is very hard to do. I wanted to do a rigorous comparison the same way you rigorously compare apartments when you're looking for a new place to live. This is also a good teaching exercise because I want you to know the smart ways to compare REITs as they've been one of the few strong areas in this market. We'll start with the universe of apartment REITs. Conveniently, there's an index, the FTSE NAREIT. uh, N-A-R-E-I-T, Equity Apartment Index, there's a mouthful for you, that includes all apartment REITs listed on the New York Stock Exchange, the Amex and the NASDAQ. There are 17 total. We're we're now narrowing that down to the 10 largest. Avalon Bay Communities, Equity Residential, Mid-America Apartment Communities, Essex Property, UDR, Camden Property, not Camden, New Jersey, Apartment Income REIT, uh, American Campus Communities, Independence Realty, and Next Point Residential. These are always just kind of talked about, but not in the way we're going to do them. From here, we got to narrow it down using key metrics. We're going to judge these apartment REITs on five different criteria. Same-store net operating income growth, projected revenue growth, projected funds from operations growth valuation, and of course, their dividend yields, because isn't that what we're looking for? Let's start with same-store net operating income, which is similar to same-store sales you'd see from a restaurant or a retailer, except in this case, it's telling you how much more profitable the existing properties were versus a year ago. Ideally, I'd rather look at the same-store revenue, but not all of these REITs give you that level of detail, so we need to go with the net operating income instead. When you look at the same-store net operating income growth for the fourth quarter, these apartment REITs clearly fall into two classes. There's Independence Realty, Camden Property, American Campus Communities, Next Point, and Mid-America Apartments. They all had double-digit growth, ranging from 12.1% to 15.1%, while the others merely in the mid-single digits. Of course, the same source sales numbers don't tell the full story because they only show you how old properties you're doing. But many of these streets are putting up new buildings left and right, and that's why we also look at the projected revenue growth for the full year. Using these numbers, once again, in this Independence Realty comes out on top, it should grow at 143% clip thanks to its merger with Steadfast Apartment, and that's in Dece- that was in December. After that, you've got this Avalon Bay that I like personally, it's 25%, then UDR, this Camden property. And next point in the mid-teens, Now, at the end of the day, what really matters are the earnings. But you see, the REITs are a little different. Rather than earnings per share, they have a thing called funds from operations per share, FFO. That's the apples-to-apples apples metric in the REIT business. Look at the estimates for 2022. Next point's at the top of the pack. Followed by Intervention Realty, Camden Property Trust, Avalon Bay Communities, and Equity Residential. Now, you may notice there's a lot of overlap across these metrics. Avalon Bay is putting up excellent revenue and funds from operations numbers. Camden Property Trust held steady across all three key metrics. That said, the financials alone aren't enough to make a decision. This is hard. These are hard. But you might want one of these, so i got to keep going. You also need to know about the price, so let's talk valuation. Sure enough, the ones with the strongest numbers are also the most expensive. Next Point trades at nearly 30 times funds from operations. This Camden property, Mid-America, Equity Residential, Avalon Bay, Independence Realty, they are 26 times funds from operations. These are not cheap. Among the cheap ones, American campus communities trades at 23 times funds, f- funds from operation, And it's got okay financials, even if it's far from the best. Dividend yields the income you get. Naturally, the ones with the best growth have the lowest yields, but if you're looking for an apartment REIT with good fundamentals and a solid payout, then it's equity residential. That's got a 2.75% yield and Avalon Bay 2.5%. Not bad. For one with slower growth, American Campus Communities uh, sports a 3.4% yield, which is pretty good and maybe not worth the risk. Now, put it all together, and I think there are four names that you should consider. Independence Realty, American Campus Com- Communities, Avalon Bay and community—I'm sorry—in Camden Properties. And all these, let's get those up there. I think it would be great there. Uh, independence Realty was created when old independence merged with steadfast apartments late last year. They've got major expos- uh, exposure to the Sunbelt region, which is red hot because it's also the low tax region. Focus uh, on wealthy areas with good school districts. Their most recent quarter was fantastic. Only downside here is minimal 1.8% yield. I don't like that. But it's the one that's got all the growth. So you're buying it as a growth stock. Next, there's American Campus Communities, which is the nation's largest owner of high-quality student housing with communities across 93 campuses. They took a real hit when COVID disrupted in-person schooling. But now they're coming back with a vengeance. While the growth numbers here are in the middle of the pack, American Campus Communities is very cheap. Terrific 3.4% yield. Maybe worth the risk, maybe not. Third is the one that I think most people know best, which is Avalon Bay. This is one of the larger, more established players. That's all about New England, Mid-Atlantic, West Coast. Just a very solid operator. Excellent numbers. Nice and straightforward. And finally, here it is. Camden property. Now, this was just added to the S&P 500 on Monday. It's another Sunbelt name that's growing like a weed. While it's on the expensive side and has the lower yield than most, You're paying up for that terrific growth rate, which makes perfect sense to me. Bottom line, with rents skyrocketing all across America and with uncertain uh, uh, housing prices because of mortgage rates, you might want to own one of the best apartment REITs. You got to take your pick from Independence Realty, American Campus Communities, Avalon Bay, or the one I like best, which is Camden Property Trust. Let's go to Grace in Florida. Grace!
0: Hi, Jim. How are you? Love your show.
2: Oh, thank you.
0: Want you get your thoughts on EXPI? I bought it in August around forty-four dollars. Gone down more than fifty percent. Um, should I sell or hold?
2: Let me think. Let me think. Let me think. You know, I'm not. I'm not a big fan. Uh, I'm trying to figure out whether it's worth it. You know, I've been. I'm pretty negative here. But you're selling it the low. That's. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's just, I think it's too low to sell. Honestly, I think that there's a good chance to be able to make a, a bit of a bounce before you get rid of it. Okay, with rent skyrocketing, I want you to own. This is one of these things that you, this is very different from a traditional stock that you might be interested in, so we had to spend a little more time on it. I want you to consider Independence Realty, American campus communities are the highest yield here. Avalon Bay, the most trusted, in Camden property just added the S&P, kind of the hottest one. Much more money ahead, including my exclusive with the head of Uber Freight, with freight rates falling from their pandemic highs. But how low are they really? What lies ahead for the industry? I'm talking to an executive in the know. Then Elon Musk has gone from the top shareholder to find himself a seat on the board of Twitter. I'm discussing what this could mean for the social media company's plans for the future. And all your calls rapid fire tonight, tonight's series of the lightning round. So stay with Kramer. Today, the market sold off as one of the Fed's most dovish members turned into an anti-inflation crusader. But while everyone is worrying about a series of aggressive rate hikes, let's not forget that we've seen real signs that some important sources of inflation may already be peaking. We've seen a huge swoon in the Dow Jones transports based on the idea that freight rates are collapsing, especially in trucking. These are already down huge. Given the damage done by sky-high logistics costs, that's a major positive for any industry that needs to ship physical products. Even as it's also a sign that commerce might be slowing, we don't know. But before we get too worked up about a potential drop-off in the freight market, we need to establish what is really actually happening here. And when we've got a question about logistics, we turn to Lior Ron. He's the head of Uber Freight, the Uber subsidiary that connects independent truckers with businesses that need to move their merchandise. His platform is the kind of transaction-level data that can give us real-time insight into the freight market around the country, which is exactly what we need right now. Mr. Ron, welcome back to Mad Money.
4: Thank you so much, Jim. Always great catching up on this super important topic. Oh, absolutely. Okay, so Lior, tell us, uh, you really do have, I've been telling people,
2: the vast panoply. There are very few people who have really have a a, a handle on what is going on with trucking. Can you fill us in on where we are, where we
4: were, and what's happening in the market? Absolutely. Uh, We definitely have a broad swath. We're now managing $17 billion uh, under freight management at Uber Freight. And what the data shows us is the market, as you pointed, was super, super stretched, sky-high rates over the past two years, and then when the market is so stretched even a sign of easing is super important and that's what we're seeing over the past month and if you think about it demand and supply on the demand side we've all ordered a lot of goods over the pandemic i think we have plenty at our houses and we see consumers starting to shift again back from goods to services and then all those manufacturers that were super worried about inventory levels because the pandemic, because of labor shortage, because of the war, have filled most of their inventory levels. So inventory is uh, actually at a very healthy clip. So demand is starting to ease flat and starting to fall. And in supply, so many truck drivers entered the market. We've discussed last time, uh, all-time high. On new registrations of truck companies entering the market. Well, we now have plenty of drivers enter the market. Some of the truck shortages from a chip supply perspective has been solved. So there's also a lot of vehicle for them now to drive. And when you take the two combined, lower demand, higher supply, spot Whoa. rates on the truck markets basically dropped by 10, 20% over the past month. Okay, now,
2: is it possible that we could be below where we are uh, were, say, six months ago in freight rates rather soon?
4: That's a great point to remember. So although we dropped by 20% over the past month, we are still significantly higher than where rates have been pre-pandemic. If you look pre-pandemic at $1.5 to $2 per mile, we're still close to 3 or $2.8 per mile. That's still considerably high from the pre-pandemic peak. So we still have significant way potentially down over the next few months until the market will go back to normal. Right. But I think the next month is going to be very telling. All right. So if there are some that have fallen 30-35,
2: that's from a very, a very high level. And it may still seem
4: very expensive versus where it could go. It's still expensive. I think the next month or two are going to be very telling. We're entering now produce season. Uh, so May is where peak truck rates are sort of peaking based on all the demand for produce. So we'll know in the next few weeks where this is heading.
2: Now, I do hear you say that the great truck driver shortage, it it may
4: or is over. I wouldn't say it's over, but uh, it's definitely easier than six or 12 months ago. Uh, Truck drivers have been motivated by the high prices in the market, and we did see three X more, three times more new registrations of truck companies entering the market. So that definitely eased a lot. But remember, now you have a lot of capacity, but that capacity, those truck drivers that are moving the economy are paying so much more for fuel. And their operating costs keep increasing by the day. So it's inevitable that we'll see some of that supply exiting the market over the next few months. All right.
2: Now, how about Uber Freight? I mean, you have always been at the center of where there are drivers who know that uh, maybe even drivers that have not been able to catch on traditional, but, are, but can be terrific. Uh, you often you did mention to me several times that there would have been discrimination in the trucking business. And you're able to pick up unbelievable drivers just because the old ways are
4: still uh, still people are still set in their old ways. Unfortunately, how is it going for you? It's going great. We continue to make super strong impact by digitizing this industry. We now manage $17 billion of freight on our platform, and we have 1.5 million truck drivers. And as you said, they're becoming more and more and more sophisticated. So, And not only that, uh, we said we're going to be profitable this year, and we just closed Q1 with more than a billion revenue a quarter. So on the financial side, things are going phenomenally well. On the product side, we're really motivated by the impact. So a few things we can do. One, we can really help those truck drivers operate more efficiently, right. reduce more empty miles, find the right matches. We now offer them a, basically a credit card that will allow them to basically a, a manage their fuel expenses so much more predictably and in a lower cost, given the high rise of fuel cost. And for shippers, when spot market and spot rates are We can offer transparency. And that's what we're doing, where they can pay basically cost plus the cost plus a fee versus being locked in super high contract rates that they've sort of locked a few months ago. And how about
2: about autonomous trucks? We keep hearing that they can happen. What would that be? The driver in the truck, but not being not driving so that they can go, say, longer hours?
4: Or are we actually going to look up and see a truck with no one in it? I think we're going to look up over time and see a truck where nobody's there, but it's going to take a long time to get there. And it's not either or. There is room in this industry for some autonomous uh, trucks, and there's a lot of room for human drivers because in the end of the day, autonomous trucks are going to help in the long, long miles on the highway that drivers don't want to do to begin with and allow driver to take on more of the local driving and stay close to the family. And this is a future It's gonna take some time to happen, but I think it's happening. We are actively on the Uber freight network today, are moving autonomous loads in Texas between Dallas and Houston on I-45. And although this is the sort of exception to the rule, over the next few years, I think we're gonna see more deployments, more routes until that milestone where there's gonna be a truck fully driven autonomously. But again, it's going to take a long time to get there. And it doesn't mean that human drivers cannot coexist with autonomous trucks. Well, look, I mean, you're fascinating as ever. I
2: do need to I do need to stay close to you, because if we are at a tipping point, it's not going to be 25. It's not going to be 30. But we can get rates very, very low, particularly with
4: oil up. We need those, don't we? We do. Yeah, the market is super interesting. Never a dull moment in trucking, and we'll see how the market progresses in Q2. Okay, Leor, it's great to talk to you. It's great to see you. I miss you, buddy. Thank you so much for coming on here. Thank
2: you. This man, Leor Ron, knows more about what's really happening. Now, you can see the rates are coming down, but off of such a high level that so far it still might not matter, and oil is just way too high. There's just things happening right now that are very hard to make sense of. Bad money's back in Just chill out. Is this Chill Master J? The Chill Man is in the house. He's happy. The lightning
1: round is coming up when Mad Money returns.
2: It is time! It's time for the lightning awesome. so, round! And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, skiing daddy? Time for the lightning round. Let's start with Glenn and Otto. Glenn. Hey, Kramer. Yes? Big
3: hey,
4: Idaho. Booyah to you.
2: Well, booyah back at you, my friend. What's going on?
4: Long-time viewer, first-time caller, and I like what you said. There's always a
1: bull
2: market somewhere, and you promise to make us money. That is true. Promise and try. I, you know, we, I promise and try because this market's getting hard. How can I help you? Hey, I would like to get your take on Cognizant Technology, ticker symbol CT An inexpensive technology company from right around the block. Does good analysis. I think it's fine. Uh, remember, we're in a market where this stock can go down 10% in a heartbeat so you, so you can buy it slowly. Let's go to Tim in Florida. Tim!
1: Jim, the Kramer candle of wisdom keeps me enlightened. How do you
2: like that, Energize huh? Can you beat honest. that? Good to have you. What's going on?
1: I said the Kramer candle of wisdom keeps me enlightened.
2: Totally. I love the guy. The candle's going to stay burning here. It's not a candle in the wind. This is not old yeah. John. What's up? Energize me on NOV. I think I will, sir, because I think that the old <laughs> oh National oh Oil by. Well Barco's got some real good years ahead of it. After some lean years, it's time for the good years. Michael in Florida. Michael.
1: Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. Yeah. So your wife wants one. 40,000 plus people reserved one. No chip shortages. No production delays coming out this year. Is it time for
2: some Fisker love? All right. Fisker is the ultimate spec stock. They're going to lose money. far as the eye can see, I saw. I saw Henrik. Don't forget. Bill McDermott's on the board. I think it's a great spec, but it's only a spec. Sam in California. Sam. Hey, Kramer. How are you? I'm not bad. Tim, how about you? Can't complain, man. No complaints from Sam. No complaints. Hey, uh, I want to get your thoughts on United Airlines. All right, United's going to go up because there's a bid for spirit, spirit, They, uh, you know, from, uh, oh, my God, it's too crazy from JetBlue. Now, the government is not going to let this happen. I'm saying it point blank. They should have spoken to the lawyers or they should have come to me. I would have saved them a lot of money, and I'm better than they are. Wow, how about that for Ubers? And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round.
3: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD
2: Ameritrade. Other than to try to make it better, we have no idea what Elon Musk wants for Twitter. Now that he's on the board of directors, has a 9%-plus stake in the company. We know this, though. While he's been welcomed openly by the CEO, Parag Agrawal, and we know that from tweets, okay, most corporate boards don't want an intruder like Musk, no matter how brilliant he might be. Boards like procedure, they like process, and they don't like surprises. At the same time, I can't imagine Musk suffering boredom in the boardroom, I'm betting will consider much of its business a waste of time. There's a lot of ceremony and blather, unless it's conducted by Zoom he doesn't have to look at it. I can't see how he'd be willing to sit through page 68 of the board pack where they go over the projections that he no doubt sees as, well, worthless, or else he probably wouldn't have joined the board in the first place. I think even the call to order and the committee comments could bore him to tears, especially the nominating committee, since he nominated himself. All that said, I think Musk will be incredibly valuable because why? Well, right now, Twitter's board has a lot of heavy hitters. It's a really who's who uh, group, including independent board chairman Brett Taylor. He's the CEO of Salesforce.com. He's co-with Mark. But it doesn't have a lot of heavy Twitter users. Musk is an extremely heavy user. He knows what it's like. He understands the power of the medium better than anybody else. In that sense, he might be eyeing Twitter the same way Jeff Bezos eyed the Washington Post before he bought the whole thing. And make no mistake, even though Musk is banned by the board from taking more than a 15% stake of the company, those rules made to be broken. What's his ultimate intention? So far, I don't know, to me, he seems like a Trojan horse, but his plans are very well hidden. He's tweeted about the possibility of editing your tweets uh, so you have a chance to be able to take something back without having to redo the whole thing. Oh, by the way, he's polled users like us about free speech. Maybe he just wants to be able to verbally abuse his critics with impunity. <laughs> Most important, though, Musk has talent for controlling the narrative about both himself and his companies. In a sense, he's like former President Trump, who was able to disintermediate the press entirely by using Twitter until he was banned for life. It wouldn't surprise me, actually, if Musk pushes for Trump's reactivation even if he hates the guy, given his stated embrace of free speech. Now, I have my own personal issues with Twitter. With 1.8 million followers, I'm a gnat compared to Musk's 80 million. But I used to have playful interactions with followers and really constructive ones until the apes who love AMC and GameStop decided I was publicly enemy number one in their fight to get these stocks higher. Now, the endless hectoring can be a little much even for Jimmy Chill. I can dish it out as well as I can take it. But if Twitter wanted a more gentle environment, it should simply offer two tracks, a subscription offering with zero anonymity and the usual free-for-all format that we've gotten used to. Then you get a constructive dialogue going on the anti-anonymity track, something I can't do on the current Twitter. The apes, as they call themselves, won't let it happen. The insults seem almost like bots. Their intensity and level of violence are simply astonishing to me. I think Musk should do something about this, if only because a company like Procter & Gamble doesn't want to place ads next to images of molestation or mutilation. It's just bad for business, both theirs and Twitter's. And it needs a dedicated security team to help weed out the threatening weirdos, repeated hecklers who have been warned that they're not welcome if they continue and incite violence, but this created a new name in the right back. But the company makes very little use of its own data, so their ads don't work well with small to medium-sized businesses. I know this. I think its page views are stalled because only a small group are interested in each tweet, and the tweets often seem forced, if not machine-generated. Maybe Musk can bring back the magic of curated community, which would be an immense amount of fun. However, if he really wants to change Twitter, I'm betting he'll have to buy the entire company. Honestly, I think you wish he would. Twitter's a tremendous news source, but it's also a cesspool. Maybe Musk could reclaim the excitement without killing the viewership, which I think, though, unfortunately, may need more resources than even he can offer. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I'm trying to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now.